I want to say hi, everybody. Bienvenidos. Welcome to uh, Conchac and Vineyard. I hope you had a really good uh, 4th of July uh, holiday. Um, what I did for 4th of July was I sat inside and felt sorry for myself uh, because I was not feeling well. So I went to Bolivia, and I wouldn't feel that sorry for myself, but a little bit. Uh, I went to Bolivia, and on my way back, I got sick on the plane because uh, there's a lot of people like sneezing and coughing on me. Um, and after that, I was just laid out. So I stayed inside. The good thing was, so that while my family was out seeing fireworks, me and my son Noah, we were at home. And so the, the only upside I could see in me being sick was that when we were inside, while as the fireworks are going off, our dog was downstairs. So the dog would go downstairs. Have you ever seen a dog react to fireworks? So she's, she's just like shivering like this. Like you could visibly see her shaking. And so my son, my older son, he took, it was, it was really precious actually. I think it was, it was pretty cool. But he took, no, he took the blanket and he came over to the, and she was sitting in between the coffee table and the couch. And he took the blanket and kind of wrapped it, put it all on top of her head so you couldn't see the dog. And so she was just like all cuddled up in there. It's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. So the dog, I think, was feeling a little bit better. So he did a great job taking care of Lily is her name. She was really cute. But, you know, the fireworks are going on. It's always fun. But uh, it's a day when we celebrate our freedom and independence, of course, as we know, uh, during the Revolutionary War, after the Revolutionary War, actually before, because most of the wars fought after that. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever taken a trip downtown to Philadelphia. Has anyone taken downtown uh, visit to the Constitution Center over there, Independence Hall? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. One of the things that really strikes me is how these founding fathers, I mean, you see these guys on dollar bills and in, in the pages of history, but these guys were putting their life on the line by, by fighting in this war. Because if they lost, they, they were done for. They would, they would be executed, they would be tried as, as uh, prisoners or as criminals. And uh, it really struck me. And it is a little bit sobering to think about all over the course of the many years that our, our history of our, of our country, how many people have fought and died. And the freedom that we, we experience today has come at a great cost. I mean, the Revolutionary War uh, in and of itself, and then, I mean, even you, as you turn the pages of the Civil War, uh, I mean, that was the most brutal war in America's history. Uh, and then, um, of course, later on with World War I, and World War II, I'm, I'm reading a, um, I ju actually just finished reading a, a documentary or a biography about Harry Truman. And Truman came to power. He was, he's known as the accidental president. But he came to power and had to make the decision whether to drop the atomic bomb. And, I mean, historians weigh the, you know, the costs and benefits of that. However, the one thing we can say is that freedom has come at a price, whether it's the, the fighting against slavery or World War One or Two, that there is a uh, the pages of American history are bloodied and brutal, and what we fought for has come at a great, great price for for many, many lives and many families. Even those who didn't die, suffering suffered the devastating effects of that. But um, as we do, as we look at that and talk about the good news, we we celebrate. But this is really an illustration. This idea that freedom comes at a price is what we celebrate every Sunday. Every Sunday we celebrate what Jesus did. That Jesus, there was a price that Jesus paid that made that we sing about, that we sang about today, to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And this is what we celebrate together. 
today and as we do with communion every week and what we focus on. And that is really the good news of Jesus, that every single person, every human being has an opportunity to be made right with God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us by his mercy and grace. And so what we're doing here, and my hope, so if, are you able to connect online? with? The, there we go. Is we have our uh, sermon series. We're in part two today. It's called The Invitation to Transformation. And really the idea is the work that Jesus did on the cross over 2,000 years ago was something that wasn't just for that time. It was something for today. It was something, a work that continued by the power of the Spirit in our hearts and that freedom that Jesus gave people wasn't just something that we would experience someday when we get to heaven. No, it's something for here and now and for every single human being. And we are invited into that uh, to experience the freedom that he has for us. And so the essential question and really my hope as we go through the series and for today is that each and every one of you would consider the question is what is, what is the area of your life that God wants to bring more freedom to? The thing, what Jesus did was for each and it was for the world. It was for each and every one of us. But He's inviting us each into the spiritual formation process by which we are being changed to become who ultimately He wanted, who wants us to be. And so I, I want to hold that question before you. And so my hope is that by the end of this series and during this time, you can have some clarity around what God's inviting each and every one to. And we're going to be giving you some uh, pr- some tools and uh, some teaching to help you in that regard to be free and experience the restoration that he has for each of our lives. So um, our uh, sermon series, again, Invitation and Transformation, but today's sermon title is called Where There is Freedom. Uh, And so let's take a moment. I want to pray, invite the Holy Spirit to help us, and then uh, I want to kick us off with, uh, with looking at the scripture for today. So Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for your sweet presence. Would you come and bring restoration to lives we we ask God, and I ask in your name, that anyone who is hurting today uh, and experiencing some kind of bondage, whether it be an anxiety or pain over a, a relationship issue that they're dealing with, or maybe it's depression or anxiety that, that's been uh, weighing on us, God, I ask that by, by your very presence today, as we listen to your word, that you would bring about freedom and transformation here in this moment, in this very time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we do pray. We do pray. It is our prayer. God, have mercy on each and every one of us. And have mercy on the world too. And it's, uh, it's by your name. We pray these things. Amen. Okay, so well, I want to do a quick review. So this is our second week, but I want to give you a little flashback to what we talked about last week. So let's take a look at that. So uh, here, on, on, you can flip over to the next slide if possible. There we go. We, this is a little paradigm that kind of summarizes what we looked at in Romans 12. Let me explain what this, this means. Okay, so in other words, uh, or this, this diagram helps represent the context that every person is based on what Paul talks about in Romans 12, offering your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, a context that happens in each of our lives if we want to change. So if you want to experience God's transformation... First of all, you need to have at the base of that triangle is a loving community. You need to be connected to people who love you, part of God's family, because God created you to belong as part of a family, and the church is God's family here on earth today. Secondly, you can look at the left, there needs to be a mindset change. So what it means, there's this word that's often used that Jesus used, it says repent. That means to change the way you think about your life. And so the false narratives we believe about ourselves and the things that we think about, about ourselves and about God, need to change if, we, if we're going to change it at all. 
Thirdly, the spiritual discipline, that's where we engage our physical body in the process of being formed to be more like who God wants us to be. In other words, you can't keep doing the same things with your body and expect to get the same results. There needs to be a training, an intentional training process of engaging your physical body, which leads to spiritual transformation. In fact, the physical and spiritual are not two separate things. We're all one integrated being. That's how God created us, to be wholly spiritual, to have a heart, but also physical, which is the manifestation, which is kind of the energy pack that brings to life the things that are in our hearts. And then finally, we talked about how God's mercy is the fuel for making that all happen. Without God's mercy and grace in our lives, no matter what we do, no matter how much effort we put into connecting with people or changing the way we think or physically changing the things we do with our lives, we can't experience the freedom and transformation that God brings us. So that's a little bit, that's a quick review of what we talked about last week. And today, we're going to look at a second letter that Apostle Paul wrote, who wrote a lot about transformation. And actually, that word he uses, transformation, you saw in the, um, the sermon series slide, is a butterfly. That word means, met, is the word we get metamorphosis. So by transformation, we're talking like a butterfly being metamorphosized into something entirely new is, is what we're talking about. And the group that he wrote to, these guys, this, this church in Corinth, they did not understand what freedom meant. And they were living a, the La Vida Loca, uh, thinking that that's what freedom was all about. And so Paul's like, guys, th- listen, that, you, you got this idea of freedom. I, I'm glad you understand God wants you to live free lives and you're having fun. But you have to think about what really God intends for that freedom that you have in your life. So they were being very selfish with their lives. They're engaging all kinds of different sins and activities that were taking them away from what God intended for them. And so Jesus' idea of freedom and Paul's idea of freedom is not doing what you feel like. In America, we're all about freedom. We've been, we celebrate Independence Day, freedom and liberty for one and for all. However, what is freedom? Have you ever stopped to think, what is freedom in and of itself? Freedom is not pursuing your own feelings. Freedom is, in fact, pursuing God's created design for your life. That's what true freedom is, is becoming the person that God created you to be. It's in becoming who God created you to be that you're going to find the most fulfillment, satisfaction, and life that he desires for each and one, any one of us. And so, hopefully, the prayer, my prayer for myself and for everyone here, is, is, is this question, is God, who did you make me to be and help me become the person you created to me? And this basic idea is actually has profound implications because it cuts across the grain of much of the thinking today. So we live in a time of, of postmodernism, even moving, and it has a lot of focus on individualistic thinking, that you kind of start in looking inside of yourself, looking at your feelings to determine the direction for your life, kind of looking uh, to yourself as the compass. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, what we do is we look to Jesus, who is outside of us and inside of us, but we look to him to see who we are, Jesus, the one who defines reality, to then determine how we are to change and who we are to become and how we're to live. So that's kind of a fundamental uh, foundational ideology and theology that Paul has as he's writing. So here's what he's writing. He wrote a second letter, and he finally writes this. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 3. And the main two verses we're going to look at, I'll fill it in because it gets a little confusing without understanding context, are verses 17 and 18. Okay, so this is what Paul writes to them in a second letter. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, or from glory to glory, uh, as it's more literally translated, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom is found. If you want freedom in your life, invite the Holy Spirit into that area of your life. Do you want to be free from anxiety? Come Holy Spirit into those anxious places. Do you want to be free of lust? Come Holy Spirit into the place, the things that are desiring things other that you don't want. Do you want to be free of fear? Do you want to be free of, of anger or pride or whatever it is that's plaguing you? Invite the God's presence, the Holy Spirit into that area of your life. You know, as we do so and we pray, come Holy Spirit, that's the, the classic prayer that, that we pray. The basic idea is to invite God into whatever area that it is in our lives that needs to be restored. And what will happen is God, through the power of his spirit, will be working in one of the, often, one of those three areas. He'll start in, including you. He'll draw you closer to people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to help you. Or he'll start to change the way that you think about whatever it is that you're struggling with. Or he'll, he'll give you practical steps. Here's some changes that need to happen Empowered, empowered by the Spirit in order to help you understand and grow in that area and become more like Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. It all, that's what it all comes down to no matter what we do. If the Holy Spirit is not present, we can't experience the freedom and transformation that, that God wants. Jesus said he comes to, bring, to make the captives free. Well, how does he do that today? He's continuing to set people free of the things that plague us inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, and we have a, a very special guest speaker coming up next. I'm really excited for that, well, but I'll wait for you. I'll, I'll hold off on who that is until next week. But we're going to help giving you some resources and tools to help, think, help you think through where you are on your journey, on the you could call the transformational journey. But one thing I want to emphasize as we, as we kind of lay the foundation, the theological foundation for how our transformation happens, is that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot experience the freedom that he desires. And God's work in our lives is an invitation not to just learn more things, not just information, but the, inv the invitation is to transformation, actual change of who, who we actually are in the very, very being. Like a butterfly, the chemistry of the butterfly itself, the entire being is completely transformed. That's what God desires for each of us. All right, so looking back at that verse, Paul uses a very interesting phrase that you might not understand. He, he says unveiled faces, and that, that kind of has a strange meaning. Uh, so where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we who with unveiled faces. So what does that mean? I don't, I, when you look at it, it's kind of weird. So let's take a look at the next, the preceding verses, and that'll help us understand. Let's click over there. Um, go to 2 Corinthians 3.12, um, and that'll help us understand the context for, for, so let's pull that up. Okay, here we are. So this is what Paul writes beforehand, and I'll give you, give you the scope of what he's saying here. So therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. And even to this day when Moses is read, the things that Moses wrote, uh, a veil covers their hearts. 
But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I think we're on the next slide there. Can you go to the next? There we go. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So here's what happened. In Exodus 34, this might seem confusing. Moses, do you remember the story of Moses? He went up to, he was, he was set, he, he along with the Israelites were set free from uh, oppression by, by, by Pharaoh and, and Egypt. So they're living in the desert, now in the desert, they're on their way to the promised land and God in the mountain with thunder and lightning and all sorts of crazy signs and wonders gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And so Moses, what he would do is he would spend time not just listening to God writing down the Ten Commandments or they were written by God, but he would actually have these face-to-face conversations with God. And when he came down from the mountain, he had spent so much time in God's presence that his face was glowing. So he was the original glow-up. He had this experience where he was shining. And so the Israelites got so afraid because his face was glowing that they freaked out. So what he did is he basically put a, put a bag over his head or a veil so that they didn't get freaked out. They were like shaking like a dog during, during fireworks. They were just really afraid just, just to look at him. It's kind of like after I eat a cheesesteak, you know, you're all greased up and glowing. And you're like, oh, put a bag over your head, buddy. So, they, I mean, if it was me, I'd tell them to put bags over their head. Listen, I'm, I'm the one who's going up in the mountains. So, but anyway, it would be really cool to have a glowing face. However, however, I, you know, what Paul's saying here is that you don't, you don't have to have this experience in order to experience the very presence of God because of, because of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but have you ever been with somebody? And it's not, it, it might be something that you can see the expression on their face, but just by being with that person, you could tell that that person had spent time in God's presence. There was something different about the person. And you couldn't, you, you might not be able to describe it like the way their hair, it's not like the way their hair is combed or something. It's like, even in their eyes, you might, but it's just a sense that you had. Has anyone ever had that experience? Yeah, it's very, pow- it's a powerful experience. I remember the very first time I had that experience, it was with a painter. Uh, his name was Tom, actually. He's still a local guy. But I was about seven years old, maybe seven, eight years old, and he was painting a, a building with my dad. And I can't, he came up to me and just started talking to me. I don't know if you remember his dad, but uh, he... And I just sensed like the presence of God. I felt this peace kind of wash over me. And all I was doing was standing next to this guy. But I know by, from talking to my dad, this guy spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time reading God's word and just investing in the Holy Spirit just spilled over onto me in that moment. I mean, and I, I remember in that moment thinking to myself, listen, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to be the kind of guy who is so in, immersed in the presence of God that maybe my face would even glow with something, with joy or peace or radiate from my life. And so what Paul is saying here is anyone who has turned to Jesus, anyone who has turned to Jesus can experience even better than what Moses experienced, more than a glowing face, but the active presence within your entire body, within your entire your being, with your social network, your heart, your mind. And so we have this, fo- this hope, and Paul's making this argument, that's more than this this uh, temporary experience, uh, this physical experience, but an actual spiritual transformation that happens through the power and the presence of God. And so freedom is not a fruit of following your feelings. It's a, it's a fruit of the presence of God. Freedom is something that results of your investment and your 
your, your time in God's presence and responding to his presence rather than something that you can do for yourself and manufacture by your own uh, machinations or by whatever you determine what is right from your, own, from your own heart. Transformation happens in the presence of God, and this is key to understanding, and it is the, really the main message of what Paul's trying to say here. And the more we time we spend in his presence, the more, and, uh, the more we will become more like him. And so those who have turned to Jesus, if you're not experiencing transformation, it just might be, if, if this is kind of a foreign idea, you've, you're having trouble changing, it just might be that you haven't fully turned to Jesus yet. And there's an invitation to turn yourself to Jesus. And if there's an area, if you have, if you think in your mind, yeah, I've turned to Jesus, my life is following and pursuing Jesus, but there's an area of your life that's not, that's stuck. It's most likely that that area of life has not turned to Jesus yet. You see, what sin does is sin turns us away from God. Remember, sin does not turn God away from us. God is always faced, his, his eyes are always full of love and compassion. He's looking to us. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't change his feelings about us. What sin does, it just turns us away and keeps that area of our life out of the realm of freedom and transformation that God wants to bring in each, into our lives. And that's the invitation for each of us. So I'd encourage you, consider prayerfully, what's the area of your life? Or what's the area that God wants to bring most freedom to? And perhaps offering prayerfully, even today, to the Holy Spirit uh, would be the, the, the right next step. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And going back to that verse, verse 18, and we who with uh, unveiled faces contemplate, let's pull that up, uh, verses uh, 17 and 18 again, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So there's all these terms that he uses, like glory. If someone asks you, what does glory mean? What does that, I mean, at first, it's, well, it's good stuff, you know, like, you know, glory. It's like, yeah, like, stuff up there, you know. <laughs> but glory, the word glory, actually, it's the word, it's like the Greek there is doxa, that we get doxology. Remember that you've, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's basically blessing, and it's associated, the word glory is associated with royalty. It's associated with beauty. It's, it's associated with his holiness and goodness and grace and mercy. Basically, it's the word that describes the very essence and perfection of who God is. It's the nature of God himself. That's what glory is. Seen then perfectly in the person of Jesus. So the perfection, all that God is, when God uh, became man, put, put the meat on, became a human being, we can see who Jesus is. And so the main thing, my friends, that God is doing in each of our lives, this is, the, this is God's will for your life. If you ever wondered what is God's will for your life, the will that God has for your life is that you would be transformed into the likeness of his son Jesus. That you would be, in fact, glorified. That you would live in glory yourself. And what living in glory is something that doesn't start on the outside. It starts with an inward transformation where your, your heart, your mind, your way of thinking, and your body what you physically do with your body begins to align with Jesus and his glory, uh, beautiful kingdom. And this is the invitation that we all get. And that is incredible. The fact that we get to participate with God in the divine nature is something, I think, beyond our comprehension. Or we can understand that we're invited into it and we can walk in it. 
but that's the invitation that all of us are invited into. And we can become increasingly more like Jesus. And that's what God invites us, that increasing maturation into Christ's likeness. I want to show you a picture, just to help you kind of consider this. Let's go to the next picture there. Um, click. Okay. <laughs> it worked. I said it and it worked. It's visual. Alexa. <laughs> it's, uh, AI these days is getting pretty good. All right. So this picture describes kind of this, this in, uh, increasing glory kind of process that we all go through as a someone who has turned to Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus. So we start off as a seed, and that's someone who has yet to fully give their life. There's there's the likeness in a seed that has the genetic code buried within it that we've all been created with this incredible potential actually created in the image of God. And a seed has that potential. And then when that seed turns, dies, goes into the ground, and the wa- it's watered, it becomes this little, little sapling. And so that sapling represents the new growth and new life that we all have. And a sapling often, if like you have an apple tree or you've seen new plant, they often need the little structure, like those little um, trellis, or they need a little stake. And so they need structures in their life to help them continue to grow. But as saplings grow, they eventually become a tree which bears fruit. Psalm 1, uh, the person who meditates on God's word day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water. And so this tree then begins to bear fruit. They're free. They're actually free to be who God created them to be. And they produce fruit like love and joy and peace. And they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to use spiritual gifts to be a blessing to others. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, there's continually increasing. So this idea of continual increase, it never stops. It's supposed to start here and never stop until the day we die. And then when we die, it even gets even more accelerated. In fact, for eternity, we're going to continually become more and more and more like God forever. And we can never become like him. So it's an eternal process that we're invited into. But on this earth, we can even grow into a forest. And a forest is where your life has become a spiritual ecosystem where others can then come and experience the fruits and the life of the kingdom of God. And the forest can then continue to grow. Into, you, can, you get the point. There is a, a continual increasing. Pull up first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, please. Um, uh, chapter 3, here we go, yes, okay, now follow along, so when that, it, so that, when I say the next word, you hit the forward button, keep going, so his divine power, this is Peter, who himself, he went through this incredible transformation in his life, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who is called by his own glory and goodness, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, look what he's describing. He's describing this maturation, continual increasing process. So go, go to the next verse, please. For this very reason, okay, so now he talks, he gets very practical. He says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, there's a lot packed in there. But at least we can say is there's an invitation to continually increasing in maturity, Christ-likeness, and glory for every person on the planet Earth. And that is the invitation that we are given by God. This, this life of seed and sapling and tree, this, this transforming life that begins to not only affect you, but brings transformation to the people around you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And his purpose for you is not only to make you like Jesus, but to bring about the revelation and reality of God's kingdom to every person, neighbor that you interact with. That is the invitation to transformation that not just starts, it's not about you. It's in fact, it's about God and his eternal kingdom that we're caught up. That's not just about people. In fact, it's about the restoration of the planet Earth and the solar system and the universe and the spiritual realm in which the physical realm coexists. It's about all of that, much bigger than we can, that we can like, imagine. That we, and we constantly think, make it so small. In fact, this transformation is so much bigger than we can imagine, but we're called to be part of this incredible journey. And this is the exciting journey we're on. And, it, and Peter uh, here, I think, nails it on the head. It is, an act, it is not an inactive process, but it's something that we can actually do and that we can participate in. So we're not just sitting there. Of, of course, sitting there and resting in God's presence is an actual thing that you can do with your physical body, but it's something that we do practically. And how do we do that? Well, Psalm 16, the psalmist says, I keep my eyes upon, fixed upon the Lord. And we, we are invited into this active lifestyle of focus that flows from a desire to spend time in God's presence. Now, I gave you an example of how God had been, and I want to give you... Um, kind of a framework to think about how this might look in your life as we finish up. So yesterday, so one of my areas that God's inviting me to growth in, and I can't keep bringing it before you because I think it's important that I'm, that I'm walking in my own um, transformational journey openly so that, um, so that we can all do this together. And I, I want to be the first to confess and to, to, be, uh, to humble myself in my areas where I'm growing. But I have this uh, inclination to just get distracted from my relationship with God by what I'm doing. And I think a lot of people can relate. So for me, the actual spiritual discipline of playing and having fun helps me actually become more like Jesus as the spirit is filling. So yesterday, I spent some time playing some video games. But as I was doing so, it, I was actively fighting against my inclination to find my worth and being productive in the moment. And I told myself and I prayed, and I was actually praying that prayer that we, we were singing about, God have mercy on me. Help me just to relax and enjoy this and not feel guilty uh, that, I'm, that I can actually have fun and kind of move into a time of vacation this week, which I am going on my uh, anniversary vacation for a couple days coming up soon, which I'm excited about, but I can start that a little bit early, and that's okay. But I'm engaged. It's not escapism, but it's engageism. I'm engaging with God in the process, inviting Him into that. So as we close, how do we? How does this happen? Listen, let me tell you. As as a pastor who's been doing this for the last 20 years or so, I've noticed in myself and in the people that I pastor—that means you and the people in our culture—what the biggest 
problem is and what is the biggest interference for living this transformational journey. You know what, what I've noticed and I've seen myself? It's not that people are going crazy sinning and doing I mean, there are people doing that. But it's simply distraction. It's that we get distracted by things that are, in fact, pretty good, like work. Work is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But if it distracts you from your pursuit of God's presence, you can't experience the freedom and transformation that he has for you. Busyness, obsession of getting things done, all of these, this mentality that we live in, I mean, we live in, we live and breathe this, so it's very normal for us, but that spirit of distraction will keep us from really stepping into the freedom that God has for us. So what we need to do is build, be intentional about building patterns into our life that help invite and engage with the Holy Spirit all throughout our week and our day and actually our month or whatever time frame you want to look at. So I look at my life, and I want to give you three suggestions. Last week, I suggested the, the sinner's prayer, the Jesus prayer. God, have mercy on me. That's something you can pray every breath. That's a, called a breath prayer. It's something that you can do every single moment of the day. You can breathe, God, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me. And you can do that as you're running. You can do it as you're working. It, doesn't take, it takes less than a second to say, and you can say it in the time of a breath. So that kind of praying, that breath prayer, helps you engage on a moment-to-moment basis. But how about on a weekly basis? Here's, a, here's something that I would like to suggest, and it's been helpful for me, and I think it would be for you. Okay, so we're invited, so Jesus invites us, without going into the whole background, into taking a, a Sabbath, a day of rest. But what I would invite you to do is, once a week, is to completely unplug from anything that you find distracts you. For example, your phone. Do you think that you could, once a week, put your phone down for 24 hours and not touch it? I want to give you that challenge this week to see if you can actually do that. Take your phone, put it away, set the clock, wait, say it's 6 p.m. Sunday night, to sit, whatever, you, whatever time, you have to make sure it works for your schedule, right? You don't want to do it in the middle of your work day, your boss is trying to, and you get fired. Don't do that. Well, well, Pastor Rich said you should, so, you know. <laughs> no, don't do that. But on the weekend, whenever it is, see if you can just do that one thing. But then, don't just do that, but use the time to engage with God. You know, go for a walk with, with a good friend. Invest some time. Go spend some time with your family. Read a good book that helps you re-engage and recenter yourself on God. Spend some time, you know, go for a, a, a prayerful walk or a hike or a bike ride where you're immersing yourself in God's creation and just honoring him just by looking and reflecting and thanking God for what he has. You could, you could journal. One other thing I like to do is I like to journal and reflect, just say what I'm thankful for. There's any number of things that you could do, but see if you can disengage from the distraction and re-engage with the spirit. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as you do that, week after week, you'll find yourself more and more free and the Lord will speak into your life and show you more of who he's created you to be and how you can grow out into those areas of freedom in your life. So moment to moment, week to week, and here's something that's helped me day to day, even just today, you know, praying through Psalm, Psalm 16, you know, apart from you, this is, the, this is the cry. This is about a lifestyle. The cry of the heart, Psalm 16, it says, apart from you, I have no good thing. In other words, the obsession of a person who's being changed into the person of likeness, a likeness of Jesus, is Jesus himself. If, if you want to become like Jesus, you need to spend time with Jesus. And we do that through the power and the life of the Spirit. 
And so I encourage you, take a time. One of the most helpful things is just to read a psalm and let God work in your heart. Every day in the morning, whenever it is, just read, pray through that psalm and allow God's spirit to wash and help you become and see and focus and be less distracted on what he's doing instead of what the world is doing. Okay, we're going to stop here. I'm going to stop talking. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create some, some time where we're, we're going to together. We're going to create some space and allow the Holy Spirit to continue working by just being intentional about some silence. Okay, so we're going to be silent just for a minute. And the reason we do this every week is to create space for God to continue to do his transforming work in our lives. And he'll, he'll speak to you. He'll, he'll, if, you, if you let him, if you create space for God, he'll come and move. So let's ask him to bring freedom and, and uh, show us what he wants to show each and every one of us or kind of highlight. So, Holy Spirit, I pray in this, this last few minutes here as we wrap up and get engaged in a time of worship, that you would give us a spirit of revelation and wisdom to see where you're calling us to be set free. Speak to our hearts. I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet now and we'll just be, have a moment of silence and then we'll, we'll continue. Speak to our hearts, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for your precious presence in our lives. And we pray that even today as we continue to worship and we extend an offer for prayer, that you would be bringing about more freedom for each and every one of us to become like you. In your name we pray. Amen.